Section three of Historic Adventure Tales from American History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Historic Adventure Tales from American History by Rupert S. Holland. Chapter two The Great Journey of Lewis and Clark. Part two early in july the new boat was finished it was very strong and yet could be carried easily by five men but when it was first launched they found that the tar-like material with which they had covered the skins that made the body of the boat would not withstand water and so the craft leaked after trying to repair the boat for several days they finally decided to abandon it putting all their luggage into the canoes they resumed their journey up the river as the canoes were heavily loaded the men who were not needed to paddle them walked along the shore the country here was very picturesque at times they climbed hills that gave them wide views of open country never explored by white men again they waded through fields of wild rye reminding them of the farmlands of the east sometimes their path wound through forests of redwood trees and always they could see the high mountains still snow-capped the glistening light on the mountain tops told the explorers why they were called the shining mountains game was now less plentiful and as they had to save the dried meat for the crossing of the mountains it became a problem to provide for the party of thirty-two people who usually consumed a daily supply equal to an elk and deer four deer or one buffalo the wild berries however were now ripe and as there were quantities of these they helped to furnish the larder there were red purple yellow and black currants gooseberries and service berries the sunflower grew everywhere lewis wrote in his diary the indians of the missouri more especially those who do not cultivate maize make great use of the seed of this plant for bread or in thickening their soup they first parch and then pound it between two stones until it is reduced to a fine meal sometimes they add a portion of water and drink it thus diluted at other times they add a sufficient proportion of marrow grease to reduce it to the consistency of common dough and eat it in that manner this last composition we preferred to all the rest and thought it at that time a very palatable dish the missouri now flowed to the south and on july eighteenth the party reached a wide stream which they named dearborn river in honour of the secretary of war lewis meant to send back a small party in canoes from this point but as he had not yet met the snake indians and was uncertain as to their friendliness he decided he had better not weaken his expedition here he however sent clark with three men on a scouting trip clark found an old indian road which he followed but the prickly pears cut the feet of his men so badly that he could not go far along his track he strewed signals pieces of cloth and paper to show the indians if they should cross that trail that the party was composed of white men before he returned the main party had discovered a great column of smoke up the valley and suspected that this was an indian signal to show that their approach had been discovered afterward they learned that this was the fact the indians had heard one of clark's men fire a gun and taking alarm had fled into the mountains giving the smoke signal to warn the rest of the tribe the high mountains now began to draw close to the expedition and they camped one night at a place called the gates of the rocky mountains here tremendous rocks rose directly from the river's edge almost twelve hundred feet in the air at the base they were made of black granite but the upper part lewis decided was probably flint of a yellowish-brown and cream colour on july twenty fifth the advance guard reached the three forks of the missouri chaboneau was ill and they had to wait until lewis and the others caught up 
they made the forks of the river gallatin madison and jefferson in honor of the statesmen of those names it was at this place that the indian squaw sacagawea had been in camp with her tribe five years before when the minotauris attacked them killed some and made a prisoner of her and some others lewis hoped that she would be able to help them if they should fall in with bands of her own tribe as the main stream ended here the party now followed the jefferson river they soon decided that it would be necessary to secure horses if they were to cross the mountains and lewis with three men set out to try and find the shoshone indians from whom they might buy mounts after several hours march they saw a man on horseback coming across the plain towards them examining him through the glass lewis decided that he belonged to a different tribe of indians from any they had yet met probably the shoshones he was armed with a bow and a quiver of arrows and rode a good horse without a saddle a small string attached to the lower jaw answering as a bridle lewis was anxious to convince him that the white man meant to be friendly and went towards him at his usual pace when they were still some distance apart the indian suddenly stopped lewis immediately stopped also and taking his blanket from his knapsack and holding it with both hands at the four corners threw it over his head and then unfolded it as he brought it to the ground as if in the act of spreading it this signal which was intended to represent the spreading of a robe as a seat for guests was the common sign of friendship among the indian tribes of the missouri and the rocky mountains lewis repeated the sign three times and then taking some beads a looking-glass and a few other trinkets from his knapsack and leaving his gun walked on toward the indian but when he was within two hundred yards of him the indian turned his horse and began to ride away captain lewis then called to him using words of the shoshones the captain's companions now walked forward also and their advance evidently frightened the indian for he suddenly whipped his horse and disappeared in a clump of willow bushes when they returned to the camp lewis packed some more indian gifts in his knapsack and fastened a small united states flag to a pole to be carried by one of the men which was intended as a friendly signal should the indians see them advancing the next day brought them to the headwaters of the jefferson creek rising from low mountains they had now reached the sources of the great missouri river a place never before seen by white men from this distant spot flowed the waters that traversed a third of the continent finally flowing into the mississippi near st louis leaving the river they followed an indian road through the hills and reached the top of a ridge from which they could see more mountains partly covered with snow the ridge on which they stood marked the dividing line between the waters of the atlantic and the pacific oceans going down the farther side they came to a creek which was part of the columbia river near this was a spring they gathered enough dry willow brush for fuel and halted for the night here they ate their last piece of pork and had only a little flour and parched meal left in the way of provisions early next day lewis went forward on foot hoping to find some indians after several hours he saw three but they fled away later he came upon three indian women one of them ran but the other two an elderly woman and a little girl approached evidently thinking that the strangers were too near for them to escape and sat down on the ground lewis put down his rifle and walking to them took the woman by the hand and helped her up he then rolled up his shirt sleeve to show that he was a white man since his hands and face were almost as dark as an indian's his companions joined him and they gave the indians some pewter mirrors beads and other presents he painted the woman's cheeks with some vermilion paint 
which was the Shoshone custom, meaning peace. He then made them to understand by signs that he wished to go to their camp to see their chiefs. The squaw led the white men along a road for some two miles, when they met a band of sixty mounted warriors riding towards them. Again, Lewis dropped his rifle and courageously marched out to deal with these unknown red men. The chief and two others galloped up in advance and spoke to the women who showed them the presents they had just received. Then the three Indians leaped from their horses and, coming up to Lewis, put their arms about him in friendly greeting, at the same time rubbing their cheeks against his and smearing considerable paint on his face. The other white men advanced and were greeted in the same way. Lewis gave presents to the warriors and, lighting a pipe, offered it to them for the smoke of peace before they smoked it however the indians took off their moccasins a custom which meant they would go barefooted forever before they broke their treaty of friendship with their friends the chief then turned and led the white men and his warriors to their camp here the white men were invited into a leathern lodge and seated on green boughs and antelope skins a small fire was lit in the centre again taking off their moccasins the chief lighted a pipe made of some highly polished green stone after some words in his own tongue, he handed the pipe to Captain Lewis, who then handed it to the other white men. Each took a few whiffs and then passed it back to the warriors. After this ceremony was finished, Lewis explained that they were in great need of food. The chief presented them with cakes made of sun-dried surface berries and chokeberries. Later, another warrior gave them a piece of boiled antelope and some fresh roasted salmon, the first salmon Lewis had seen, which convinced him that he was now on the waters of the Columbia River. He learned that the Indians had received word of the advance of his party, whom they at first took to be a hostile tribe, and had therefore set out prepared for an attack. As a further sign of goodwill, the white men were invited to witness an Indian dance which lasted nearly all night. It was late when the white men, tired by their long day's journey, were allowed to take their rest. On the next day, Captain Lewis tried to persuade the Shoshones to accompany him across the divide in order to assist in bringing his baggage over. It took considerable argument to get the Indians to do this, and he had to promise some more gifts and arouse their curiosity by telling them that there were a black man and a native Indian woman in his camp before he could induce them to consent. Finally, the chief, Kamiawait, and several of his warriors agreed to go with Lewis. When they reached the place where the rest of the party was camped, the chief was surprised and delighted to find that the Indian woman, Sakagawea, was his own sister, whom he had not seen since she had been captured by the enemies of his tribe. Clark's negro servant, York, caused much amazement to the Indians, who had never seen a man of his colour before. Lewis then had a long talk with the Shoshones, telling them of the great power of the government he represented, and of all the advantages they would receive by trading with the white men. Presently he won their good will, and they agreed to give him four horses in exchange for firearms and other articles. Sakagawea was of the greatest help in a talk between the white men and the Shoshones, and it was she who finally induced her brother to do all he could to assist the explorers. Lewis now sent Clark ahead to explore the route along the Columbia River, and to build canoes if possible. The Indians had told him that their road would lie over steep rocky mountains where there would be little or no game, and then for ten days across a sandy desert. Clark pushed on and found all the Indians' reports correct. He met a few small parties of Indians, but they had no provisions to spare, and his men were soon exhausted from hunger and the weariness of marching over mountains. His expedition proved that it would be impossible for the main party to follow this river, to which he gave the name of Lewis and he returned to the camp of the Shoshones, which Lewis and the others had made their headquarters. 
in this camp the white men made preparations for the rest of their journey they finally obtained twenty-nine young horses and saddles for them they also studied the history and habits of this tribe who had once been among the most powerful but had lately been defeated in battle by her neighbors the shoshones were also called the snake indians and lived along the rivers of the northwest fishing for salmon and hunting buffaloes their chief wealth lay in their small wiry horses which were very sure-footed and fleet and to which they paid a great deal of attention on august twenty seventh the expedition started afresh with twenty-nine pack-horses heading across the mountains to other indian encampments on another branch of the columbia travel was slow as in many places they had to cut a road for the ponies and often the path was so rough that the heavy burdened horses would slip and fall snow fell at one time and added to the difficulty of the journey but by september sixth they had passed the mountain range and come into a wide valley at the head of a stream they called clark's fork of the columbia here they met about four hundred ulashoot indians to whom they gave presents in exchange for fresh horses continuing again they reached traveller's rest creek and here they stopped to hunt as the indians had told them that the country ahead held no game after refurnishing their larder they pushed on westward and ran into another snowstorm which made riding more difficult than ever their provisions were soon exhausted game was lacking and the situation was discouraging the march had proved very tiring and there was no immediate prospect of reaching better country lewis therefore sent clark with six hunters ahead but this light scouting party was able to find very little game and was nearly exhausted when on september twentieth clark came upon a village of the chopunish or nez pierces indians in a beautiful valley the indians had fish roots and berries which they gave the white men who at once sent some back to lewis and the others these provisions reached the main party at a time when they had been without food for more than a day strengthened by the supplies and encouraged by news of the indian village they hurried forward and reached the nez pierces encampment their stock of firearms and small articles enabled them to buy provisions from these indians and they moved on to the forks of the snake river where they camped for several days to enable the party to regain its strength they built five canoes in the indian fashion and launched them on the river which they hoped would lead them to the ocean lewis hid his saddles and extra ammunition and having branded the horses turned them over to three indians who agreed to take care of them until the party should return the snake river flowing through beautiful country was filled with rapids and they had many hardships in meeting them at one place a canoe struck a rock and immediately filled with water and sunk several of the men could not swim and were rescued with difficulty at the same time they had to guard their supplies carefully at night from wandering indians who although they were friendly could not resist the temptation to steal small articles of all sorts the rapids passed the river brought them into the main stream of the lewis river and this in turn led them to the junction of the lewis and columbia rivers which they reached on october seventeenth here they partied from the last of the nez pierces indians the columbia had as many rapids as the smaller river in addition they came to the great falls where they had to lower the canoes by ropes made of elk skin at one or two places they had to make portages but as this involved a great deal of extra labor they tried to keep to the stream wherever they could at one place a tremendous rock jutted into the river leaving a channel only forty-five yards wide through which the columbia passed its waters tossed into great whirlpools and wild currents 
lewis decided that it would be impossible to carry the boats over this high rock and determined to rely on skilful steering of them through the narrow passage he succeeded in doing this although indians whom he had met shortly before had told him that it was impossible at several places they landed most of the men and all the valuable articles and the two chief explorers took the canoes through the rapids themselves not daring to trust the navigation to less experienced hands in this far western country they were continually meeting wandering indians and they learned from them that the pacific ocean was not far distant on october twenty eighth lewis found an indian wearing a round hat and sailor's jacket which had been brought up the river in trade and soon after he found other red men wearing white men's clothes on the thirty first they came to more falls here they followed the example of their indian friends and carried the canoes and baggage across the slippery rocks to the foot of the rapids the large canoes were brought down by slipping them along on poles which were stretched from one rock to another they had to stop constantly to make repairs to the boats which had weathered all sorts of currents and had been buffeted against innumerable rocks and tree trunks then they discovered tide water in the river and pushed on eagerly to a place called diamond island here lewis wrote we met fifteen indians ascending the river in two canoes but the only information we could procure from them was that they had seen three vessels which we presumed to be european at the mouth of the columbia they came to more and more indian villages generally belonging to the skillet tribe who were very friendly but were too sharp at a bargain to please captain lewis on november seventh eighteen o five they reached a point from which they could see the ocean lewis says the fog cleared off and we enjoyed the delightful prospect of the ocean that ocean the object of all our labours the reward of all our anxieties this cheering view exhilarated the spirits of all the party who were still more delighted on hearing the distant roar of the breakers and went on with great cheerfulness it was late in the year and the captain wished to push on so that he might winter on their coast but a heavy storm forced them to land and seek refuge under a high cliff the waves on the river were very high and the wind was blowing a gale directly from the sea great waves broke over the place where they camped and they had to use the utmost care to save their canoes from being smashed by drifting logs here they had to stay for six days in which time their clothes and food were drenched and their supply of dried fish exhausted but the men bore these trials lightly now that they were so near the pacific ocean when the gale ended they explored the country for a good place to establish their winter quarters the captain finally decided to locate on a point of high land above the river neutal well beyond the highest tide protected by a grove of lofty pines here they made their permanent camp which was called fort clatsop they built seven wooden huts in which to spend the winter they lived chiefly on elk to which they added fish and berries in the early spring a whale stranded on the beach provided them with blubber and they found salt on the shore the winter passed without any unusual experiences and gave the captain an opportunity to make a full record of the country through which he had passed and of the indian tribes he had met the original plan was to remain at fort clatsop until april when lewis expected to renew his stock of merchandise from the trading vessels which visited the mouth of the columbia every spring but as the winter passed the constant rain brought sickness among the men and the game grew more and more scarce so that it was decided to make an earlier return before they did this lewis wrote out an account of his expedition and arranged to have this delivered to the trading vessels when they should arrive and in this way the news of his discoveries would not be lost in case anything should happen to his own party the indians agreed to deliver the packets and one of the messengers 
carried by an american trader finally reached boston by way of china in february eighteen o seven some six months after lewis himself had returned to the east on march twenty fourth eighteen o six they started back on their long route of four thousand one hundred and forty four miles to st louis searching for fish they found the maltona or willamette river and lewis wrote the valley of this stream would furnish the only desirable place of settlement west of the rocky mountains here he found rich prairies plenty of fish and game unusual plants of various sorts and abundant timber soon they reached the village of the walla walla indians who received them so hospitably that the captain said of all the indians they had met since leaving the united states this tribe was the most honest and sincere with twenty-three horses and walla walla indians as guide they followed a new road up the valley of the lewis or snake river which gave them eighty miles of their westward route it was still too early to cross the mountains and they camped near the place where they had trusted their thirty-eight horses to their indian friends the autumn before the indians returned the horses in exchange for merchandise and lewis provided them with food in all these meetings the squaw wife of the french trader was invaluable usually lewis spoke in english which was translated by one of his men into french for the benefit of the trapper chabonu who repeated it in the tongue of the minotauris to his wife she would then repeat the words in the shoshone tongue and most indians could then understand them or some could repeat them to the others in their own dialect early in june they tried to cross the mountains but the snow was ten feet deep on a level and they had to abandon the attempt until late in the month they finally crossed and found their trail of the previous september at this point the party divided in order to explore different parts of the country lewis took a direct road to the great falls of the missouri where he wished to explore maria's river clark went on to the head of the jefferson river where he was to find the canoes that they had hidden and cross by the shortest route to the yellowstone and the two parties were to meet at the mouth of the yellowstone river lack of game prevented lewis getting far into the country along maria's river on this journey he fell in with a band of minotauris and some of them tried to steal his guns and horses the only real fight of the journey followed in which two indians were killed he then continued eastward and on august seventh reached the mouth of the yellowstone where he found a note telling him that clark had camped a few miles below in the meantime clark had explored a large part of the valleys of the jefferson gallatin and madison rivers and had found a boiling hot spring at the head of the wisdom river one of the first signs of the wonders of the yellowstone his journey was made safely and comfortably although at one place he had to stop to build fresh canoes and during this delay a band of indians stole twenty-four of his pack-horses the united party descended the missouri and found that other explorers were already following in their track they met two men from illinois who had pushed as far west as the yellowstone on a hunting trip and back of them they heard of hunters and trappers who were pushing into this unexplored region travel homeward was rapid and on september twenty third eighteen o six the expedition arrived at st louis from which they had started two years and four months before at the place where they parted with the last of the minotauris they said good-bye to chabonu his indian wife and child the squaw had been of the greatest service to them but for her it is possible that the expedition might never have been able to get through the shoshone country lewis offered to take the three of them to the united states but the french trader said that he preferred to remain among the indians he was paid five hundred dollars which included the price of a horse and lodge that had been purchased from him the wonderful journey had been a complete success the explorers had passed through strange tribes of indians dangers from hunger and hardship in the high mountains the desert and the plains 
and had brought back a remarkable record of the scenes and people they had met from their reports the people of the united states first learned the true value of the great louisiana territory which had been bought for such a small price in money but which was to furnish homesteads for thousands of pioneers the work began by the brave french explorers of earlier centuries was brought to a triumphant close by these two native american discoverers End of chapter two